Today we're going to continue with our focus series. And I don't know about you, but uh, these series have, it, they've been, the past few messages have really helped me out in my personal life and my relationship with Jesus. And I've heard nothing but incredible things about it. And we're going to continue today. We're going to continue to learn. We're going to continue to grow together, right? Can I get an amen? Come on. And so today, uh, if you brought your Bibles, I want you to um, open them to the book of First John. First John, we're going to uh, be reading and seeing everything that um, John has, uh, tell, has been telling us. And this has been actually our, our base uh, verse for the past few weeks. It's First John chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in uh, verse 15. So if you're there, are you there? Say amen. If not, you can follow on the screen with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is what it says. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And we've been camping out in these few verses, just learning uh, the tricks that the enemy uses to distract us, right? God wants us to live a life that it's focused. This is why we're having this series, because we want to understand what living a focused life means. And so here, John is uh, telling us what the enemy uses. And so we've heard over the past few weeks about the distance, We've heard about the danger, and today we're going to talk about the destruction. The destruction that these distractions can bring into our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn, and we're going to just be more aware and focused on what God wants us to do. But before we get started, why don't we close our eyes and just ask God to be with us in this moment. Jesus, we thank you so much, God. We thank you that, God, that you're a good God. We thank you that you've allowed us to be here on this amazing Sunday, singing praises to you, just with grateful hearts. We pray that in this moment, Jesus, you will be here in this place, God, that your spirit will move here today, that your spirit will begin to change our hearts, our minds, our souls, open up our eyes, God, to see you more clearly. God, that, this, that in this moment, Jesus, no, no one that's here, God, will leave this place the same, God, but that you will change our hearts, that you will transform us, that you will lift up our eyes and our heads to see you, Jesus, that you will do something in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Hey, if you've been coming to church for a little while, you've probably heard Alex or myself talk about our nephews and nieces right um we actually have two nieces one of them she's two months old and the other one is uh, just turned three she's three years old and her name is penny and penny penny's amazing she is incredible she has this um personality she's a little bit sassy and she just knows what she wants she's a little crazy um but penny penny loves attention 
Penny loves to be told that she's pretty and she thinks she's a princess. So she loves wearing these princess dresses and these shoes and jewelry. And uh, she has this little clip-on little pony from um, her frozen little suit. And so she loves wearing all these things, right? So every time we go to her house, um, we're in the living room, which is hanging out. All of a sudden, there comes Penny. She starts twirling in her outfit, just looking at you like, I'm here. And so you look at her, and she's so cute that, of course, you tell her, Penny, you're so pretty. You're so cute in her face. She's just like, she gets so happy. She's glowing. She's just so excited. She loves to be told that she's pretty and that she's cute. If you tell her, Penny, Penny, show me your, show me your outfit. It's so pretty, that dress. She holds it up, and she just does this. She just shows you, and she blows kisses, and she just loves attention. She loves to know that she's loved and that she's pretty and this, you know, she's just the cutest thing. So whenever she doesn't want any more attention, she leaves. But it, if she changes her mind, she'll come back around expecting the same. And, you know, Penny, she's really cute. And I was thinking about her and I, I started to think that this can be the way we behave in life sometimes. That as human beings, we, we like and we really enjoy to be admired, to be loved, to be desired, to be wanted, to be validated, right? We love to be told that we are great and that we are handsome and beautiful, right? We like to be told that, you know, we are just the best at what we do. I know that um, I see some of you, maybe you're saying, not, not me, lies. You know, if somebody approaches you and they tell you you look good today, you, you're going to feel good. Maybe even if you didn't think you look good that morning, you, you look at yourself and be like, oh, okay, maybe I do. That's right, I do. Right? And we go through life just wanting to get this from people, right? We go through life and we're waiting for someone to tell us, Chicky, you are the most gorgeous girl I've seen in my life. And you're just like, you are though. You really are. But it makes us feel better, right? Coyazo, that beard is so on point. My God. We enjoy this, right? And it's really cute when it's a little three-year-old, but it's a little weird when um, we're grown-ups and we're, we still want all this attention and we're like, yes, tell me, right? It's, it's a little strange. And the thing about uh, life is that this, there's this innate desire within us, right, to want some power, to feel superior, to get a little bit more. And so what we can do is that we can actually go to great lengths to, to gain this, to gain this recognition. We can waste all of our lives, our money, our time trying to gain this validation from people, this validation from titles. And so what we can do is that we can wake up one morning and decide that we're going to buy this new car. And we're going to be broke. We're going to buy this new car and, and the payment's going to be through the roof. And you're going to end up eating ramen noodles for the whole year. Because all you want is to be able to go up to your job, pull up next to your neighbor, the guy that works in the cubicle next to you, and show off. And say, this is my new car. I'm doing so well. I've got all this money, I can afford all of this. What we do is that we hear that our neighbor is going on this incredible vacation and so we're willing to spend all of our life savings just to prove that we are enough, that I got enough, I'm successful. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We can go through life chasing titles and degrees on the wall because we think that if we have one, two, three, four, five, maybe that will bring some value 
to my life. We go through life chasing titles and wanting to feel better about ourselves. And what can happen, sometimes we can become one of these people that are one-uppers. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? That you say something and then they just, they just don't even let you finish. They kind of have to just tell you something about them. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's someone you know, your coworker. You show up, you tell them, hey, I've been saving up. And I've actually decided that I'm taking my family um, to Orlando on vacation this weekend. That's right. It's nice. I'm going to go to the parks. We're going to have a great time. They look at you and they tell you, that's incredible. That's so nice. I've actually just finished booking my 20-day trip with my whole family in Europe. It's going to be amazing. I'll tell you how it goes. It's the kind of people that you show up really excited and you tell them, hey, I've started to work out. It's one of my New Year's resolutions, and so I've been working out. And let me tell you, I've been running three miles every day. I haven't, but this person has. <laughs> and they look at you, and they tell you that's incredible. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying that God gives you strength that he's given me because I run 17 miles twice a day every day for the past six months. One-uppers. All this desire for validation and for love will have you trading in your humility, your kindness for arrogance. And all of a sudden, you're going to walk around with your head a little bit too high looking down on people because they don't have the car you have, because they don't drive the brand new car you're driving, because they don't, they're not on the same tax bracket as you are. All of a sudden, they named you manager of the month. Hey. And you walk around just looking at everybody else. I'm the manager. I tell you what to do. I'm, 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 I'm good. My picture's going to go up on that wall. Manager of the month. This is the desire that is in us to be loved, to be wanted, to be admired, to have power, to have position. And you see, the problem really, it's not the job, the title, the problem, it's not the degree, the problem, it's not the bank account. The problem is when we make these things the one and only purpose of our lives, the one and only driving force of our lives. The problem is when we give these things uh, all our value, everything that we are, we allow these things to drive who we are. And what we need to understand, what I believe that God wants us to know and I want us to pay attention in this moment because I believe that this can change our perspective. What God wants us to know is that life, life is not about the titles we can gain. It's about the position we already have. It's not about the titles we can gain, but about the position we already have. What position? Our position in Christ. We go through life trying to get a title attached to our name. Anna, she's rich and wealthy. Right? Because she, she is talented. This person, you're a CFO, CEO, UFO, whatever, and you just need a title attached to your name. Right? UFO, I'm, yeah. And, <laughs> but life, it's not about titles. You know, our position in Christ is way more powerful and more valuable than any man made title. 
And what I'm talking about when I talk about our position in Christ is what I'm saying is that our position in Christ is not a position that we need to strive and perform a way to attain it. Our position in Christ is not something that we need to work our way to. Our position in Christ is freely given by him. When Jesus died on the cross, the only thing we have to do now is put our trust in Jesus. And immediately we become sons and daughters of God. That is our position. We understand that our position in life, that our value, it's not based or dependent on people, on people's opinions, on titles, but on who Jesus is and in who we are in him. And I don't know what kind of titles you've been chasing, what kind of validation you've been looking for. But God wants to remind you today of who you are, of your position. In Jesus Christ, you are loved, you are welcomed, you are accepted, you are wanted. Come on. I don't know what your parents may have told you or how you grew up. Maybe they told you you were a mistake, you were not wanted. Maybe they didn't want to have you. Maybe your parents prayed for you. Whatever it is, wherever you find yourself today, your position in Christ is love, wanted, accepted. You're welcome. God has adopted you into his family. Before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew your name. He set you apart. He gave you a plan. He gave you a purpose. He knew who you were. He wanted you. Your position in Christ is redeemed and forgiven. That's why you, you no longer have to walk around with our heads low, looking at the floor, thinking that our sin is just hanging over our head because in Jesus, we are redeemed. In Jesus, we are forgiven. Come on. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, he no longer looks at us and sees our mistakes. He's not looking at you today thinking about what you were doing two months ago. He's not looking at you today thinking about how terrible you behaved the other day. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our trust in God, he looks at us and he sees the, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he exchanged our, sin, our sins for his perfection. Our position in Christ is that we are blessed. We are conquerors. Our position in Christ is that we are whole and we are enough. Come on, I don't know about you. You sound too quiet to know that your position in Christ is this. Come on. When I know who I am in Jesus, I want to shout and I want to give him some praise because he's redeemed me. He's made me new. He's given me a new life. Come on. So what God wants us to do is to shift our eyes, our focus from the world and put it on him. And so in 1 John, we've been reading this and he is speaking to us like a father. Why we've been talking about this, he tells us, children, listen to me. Hear me. Pay attention because I'm going to tell you the ways that the enemy is going to come and attack you. The ways that the enemy, the tricks that he's going to use to get into your heart, your mind, and your soul. And he says that one of those things is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the one that we're going to be focusing on today, which is the pride of life. Destruction. The destruction of the destruction of the pride of life. And he's telling us because we are all going to be tempted in these three ways. There's not one of us in this place that will not be facing one of these temptations or all three of them. If you're in this place, you face the temptation of the pride of life. Maybe you're facing it right now or you will face it. So he's saying, because this is going to happen, you need to be aware. You need to be focused on me. Focus on your position. 
focus on who I am and who you are in me. We've been going over the definition of, definitions of these different things, and I want to show you the definition of the pride of life. The pride of life can be defined as position. I want to be. It's a desire that we have to be someone, to achieve something. It's anything that leads to arrogance, ostentation, pride in self, presumption, and boasting. It is to think too highly of yourself, your possessions, or your performance. It is an unhealthy desire for power, greatness, and to feel superior to others. This is the pride of life. It's all about who I can be, who I want to be, the possessions, what I can do in my life, what I can achieve, what people think, people's opinions. And it's something that we've seen happening from the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent is tempting uh, Eve, right? And, and it's telling, telling Eve, you know, why don't you eat from this tree? And Eve's saying, no, God told us we can do this. I want you to check out Genesis chapter 3. It says, that the serpent said, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Part of life. Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. She wasn't going to fall into this by herself. But... Try to get animated. Hello. Pride of life. Is Eve wanting to be like God? Is Eve desiring this knowledge, this position, right? And if I tell or if I ask some of us today, and if I assume that maybe at some point in your life you've wanted to be like God, you're going to tell me, no, Diana, of course not. But sometimes our, our actions say something else. Sometimes by our actions, we're trying to kick God out of his place to place ourselves there. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. In Isaiah 14, we see um, Lucifer being kicked out of heaven. And see, he was an angel. He was enjoying just worshiping in heaven. He, he, he had it made. It was good. He was by uh, God's side, and he was just singing his little heart out. And... All of a sudden, the pride of life comes in. And all of a sudden, you look next to you and you see that the person next to you has a title you don't have. And you start wanting what they have. All of a sudden, when you spend too much time looking at what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is accomplishing, all of a sudden, what you have doesn't seem like enough. All of a sudden, you start wanting what that person wants and you start despising the position that you have and the position that you're in. In Isaiah 14, it says that he said, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This pride of life comes to destroy the purpose that God intended for our lives. It destroyed the purpose that God had intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy this garden and it got him kicked out. It destroyed the purpose that God had for this angel that now got kicked out of heaven because of the pride of life. In Matthew chapter 4, we've been going over this. We've been seeing how uh, this is the moment where Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, the enemy comes to tempt him, right? And it says that the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. 
he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Essentially what he's telling him is show off. You've got all this power, show off. Because if you throw yourself, surely he's going to catch you. This is the time for you to show off. But the problem with showing off was that God had given Jesus this power not to show off, not to point how great he was, but to serve humanity. But the enemy will have our minds confused thinking that the second that God blesses us is to show off, is to say how great we are, is to boast in what we have rather than point back to Jesus. And we can easily say, I did this. I have this. I made this happen. Instead of giving God the place that he should have in our lives. And so God wants us to live focused lives. I believe that if you're you're here, I believe that if you have been uh, following this series that you're going to be focused. I believe that today you're going to leave with your eyes focused on who Jesus is. So there's a few things that the pride of life can cause in our lives. And we want, I want us to be aware of these things. We need to know how the enemy works so that we can fight, right, against what he's trying to do in our lives. The first thing, and I want you to write this down. The first thing that the pride of life can do in our lives is that it can make us dependent. Not dependent on God, but dependent on people. Dependent on circumstances. All of a sudden, we place the source of our joy, the source of our blessing, the source of how we feel that day, the source of our value in the hands of people, situations, and circumstances. All of a sudden, we are saying, God, who you are is not enough. What you're doing is not enough. My position, it's not enough because now my life depends on people. You've given control to people. You've given control to circumstances. And as people who have allowed pride of life to come in, we like to say, prideful people, well, I got this. I'm self-made. Has anybody heard that? I'm self-made. And we use that lightly. It's like, you, you're self-made? How? What did you make? Right? And you'll say, well, I'm self-made because, look, I, I went to school and I got those three and four and five degrees. Really? And, and who do you think gave you the, the brain to think and be able to study and be able to learn. Who do you think opened the door that you can achieve this? Yeah. Oh, I'm self-made because I, and I, if you only knew, I've been working two, three, four, five jobs for the past six years. And so I've made all this money. I'm self-made. I owe nothing to nobody. Really? Who has given you the ability to use your hands, your feet, your mind, your voice to achieve anything? So the lie here is that you think you're becoming better, you're independent, but really you're dependent on the world. You're dependent. So now you wake up every morning and instead of putting your trust in Jesus and saying, God, I'm thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful for life. Now, if you show up to work and that person didn't look at you, that person looked at you a little weird, now you're dependent. Your whole day depends on what that person has done or what they didn't do. It makes us dependent. The next thing that it can do in our lives is that it makes us arrogant. And an arrogant person, really, they act as if they are superior to everybody else, right? Uh, they're more valuable, they're more important than other people. Arrogance will have us thinking so highly of ourselves and so little of everyone else. 
Arrogance, it demands respect. It demands admiration. Arrogance wants to be the center of attention. Arrogance wants to say, I am, I have. Look at me, this is what I've done. Look at me, this is what I have. Look at me, this is what I'm able to do. And an arrogant people really want to come off as really strong, right? Secure in who they are. But the reality about arrogance is that it's only insecurities trying to be masked as confidence. It is only this deep void within our lives where we don't know really who we are or where our value comes from. Now we need to pretend like we are more to see if maybe by pretending we one day can feel value in our lives. It's arrogance. Arrogance will have you looking at people and mistreating people just because you think that putting people down somehow elevates you. And that's a lie. You go through life thinking so highly of yourself and you fail to realize the void in your own life. You fail to realize that there's something in your life that it's missing and only God can fill that void in your heart and in your soul. The third thing that it does is that it keeps us separated. It separates us from God because essentially what we do is that we've removed God from his place and we've taken control. When we allow the pride of life into our hearts, what we're saying is, Scott, get off the driver's seat. I got this. What we are saying is, God, who you say I am really isn't convincing me. Who you say I could be and I will be really doesn't sound like something uh, very appealing to me right now. I really enjoy what I get somewhere else. It separates us from God because we, we begin to have this mentality of we're okay on our own. Really, I don't need God. Look, I've, I've made all this money on my own. I've got into this place on my own. It changes our focus. And our approach goes from you are God to we're equal. It changes our approach from gratitude and reverence to I deserve and I demand. It changes our approach from God, how great you are to God, look at how great I am. It brings separation. It separates us from God. It destroys our life that we have our communion with Jesus it takes us down it takes us on a path of destruction it separates us but the good news is that if we are aware then we can fight these things the good news is that if we are aware and we are focused then we can destroy the pride of life before it destroys us so I want to tell you three things that we can do to destroy the pride of life the first thing that we can do is trust. We need to learn how to trust Jesus. We need to learn to stop depending on people, on circumstances, on money, on possessions, and put our trust in Jesus. Trust that who he says and who he says I am is the truth. Put our trust and understand that we are enough. That our position in Christ deems us as whole, redeemed, enough. We kill the part of life when we trust in God. And we place our lives and our destiny in his hands. 
we kill the pride of life where we no longer have to fight for validation. If you're in this place and maybe you've been seeking validation and love in all the wrong places, the world would have us think that maybe, maybe if you date that guy and he reminds you every day you're pretty and you're beautiful, maybe you'll believe it one day. The pride of life will come and tell you that maybe you, if you date that girl, maybe two, maybe three, maybe you'll feel like a man then. It will tell you that then maybe you feel some kind of worth and some kind of value. That maybe if you go and pursue that money, maybe if you cheat on that tax, maybe if you bend the rules a little bit, you'll get to the place where you want to go. And God is saying, shift your focus from the world, from the titles, and put your trust in me. The moment that you look to me, you're going to understand who you are. Trust will point us back to his grace, his mercy, and his goodness. Trust in Jesus because we know that he cannot be shaken. He is the firm foundation that everything else in this world will fade. Our money, our possessions, opinions, they can change from one day to the next. But our God cannot be shaken. Our God will not change. His promises are true for our lives. His word remains forever. It is unshaken. It is unchangeable. We can trust in God. The second thing we can do is repentance. Sometimes we think repentance is just this thing that we've seen in movies or people do where we have to get on our knees and walk 30 blocks and bleed and, oh, I'm going to die. That's not repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is when we make a conscious choice and decision. We acknowledge the fact that there's a behavior that there's an attitude, that there's something that we are doing that needs to change. And then that thought and that decision leads us to action. It leads us to a change of conduct. We can approach God, but when we approach God for repentance, we need to be willing to look in and be honest with ourselves. Maybe we don't want to be honest with our friend. Maybe we don't want to be honest with other people. But in front of God, we can go to him and just ask ourselves, what has been driving my life? God, have I placed my trust in other things? God, have I placed my trust in something else than you? When we are honest with ourselves, when we really question our motives, then we can go to God and say, God, I need you. God, I need your help. God, I'm sorry for wanting to do things on my own. God, I'm sorry for wanting to be this and seek for validation and seek for approval when everything I need is found in you. Repentance kills the pride of life because it shows our dependence on Jesus. It shows that we trust him and that we believe in who he is. The last thing we can do to fight the pride of life is humility. I think sometimes we can get humility a little bit confused. Maybe sometimes we think of humility and we think that humility is to think less about ourselves when in reality humility is to think of ourselves less. Humility is not asking you to not accept a compliment. Humility, the only thing that it does is that it doesn't allow the compliment to get to your heart and to your mind and run with it. Humility doesn't mean that you cannot recognize that there's a gift in your life. Humility doesn't mean that you cannot recognize that God has favored you, that God has graced you, that God has blessed you. 
But humility points back to Jesus. It doesn't boast on self. Humility doesn't say, I've done this. Humility doesn't get the credit. Humility points back to Jesus. Humility acknowledges who Jesus is in our lives. Humility acknowledges the source of everything is Jesus. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You want to catch God's attention? Be humble. Practice humility. How do you practice humility? When that person got that promotion that you wanted and you don't want to say congratulations. Guess what you need to do? Congratulations. It doesn't make you less. Actually, you gain more. When you see that person got named uh, whatever in church, they got this title. Oh my gosh, they named them head of the ushers and not you. And you feel a little bitter inside because you thought it was going to be you. Guess what? Practice humility. Say, I'm happy for you. Good for you. It doesn't make you less. It doesn't take anything away from you. Actually, it catches God's attention and it brings grace to your life. Humility brings blessings and favor into our lives. And I'm going to close with this, but I want to read the story on Luke chapter 18. This is Jesus. He's saying the story about this Pharisee and a tax collector. If, if you know anything about the Pharisees, was um, they had the title. They had status. They had reasons to brag. They kept the law perfectly. They did all these things. They had status. They had a reason to boast. But a tax collector, he was, he was a nobody. He was looked down upon. People would see them as less. But I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18. It says, he told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people robbers and crooks and adulterers or heaven forbid like this tax man i fast twice a week and i tithe on all of my income meanwhile the tax man slumped in the shadows his face in his hands not daring to look up said god give me mercy forgive me a sinner jesus commented this tax man not the other went home made right with god if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. How amazing is this? I think this is a perfect example that you don't impress God by having fasted these 21 days. If you're mistreating people, if you're being arrogant, if you are being dependent on everything else but Him. God is not impressed if you tithe every single weekend, but you don't put your trust in Him, but you really truly don't believe what you're doing. God is impressed with a humble heart. God is impressed with one that recognizes His need for Jesus. God is impressed with one that says, God, I need you. God, I thank you. Everything that I am is because of who you are. Everything that I do will be to give you glory. Everything that I am, everything that I could ever achieve will be to point back to you, Jesus. That is 
what attracts the heart of Jesus and his grace and his blessing over our lives. Can we get up on our feet? If you're here today, I don't know where you land in all of this, right? I feel like that as I, as I was speaking, some of us maybe have been on one side, the other, maybe both. Some of us maybe sat here saying, mm -mm, not me. If that was you, maybe this was for you. Right, we're all on the same playing field, right? We're all in this together. There's no one in this place that is perfect, but today God wanted you to hear this word so that you would focus on him. So that you would understand and be reminded today that you have been made whole in him. That you don't need to look for love and validation and relationships and people and titles because everything that you are, everything that you will ever need to be is found in him. Titles will come and go, but your position in Christ is never shaken, it's never moved. So I hope that you leave today encouraged, choosing, deciding to stay focused on God. But I want to take a moment and I want to just give an opportunity to people that are here in this place. And maybe you have not put your trust in Jesus yet. You've heard me talk about our position in Christ but you haven't had a chance to put your trust in Jesus, I'm gonna ask everyone to just close your eyes and bow your heads just for privacy and concentration. And in a moment, I'm gonna to count to three and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to raise your hand and this is just for me to acknowledge you. I'm not gonna give you the mic, I'm not gonna ask you to come up here, I just want to acknowledge you. If you're here today, I want you to understand that none of us in this place are perfect. But Jesus is perfect that none of us in this place can walk around saying we are better than you, we're all the same. But what sets us apart is that we understand that God in his infinite love sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me, to pay for our sins, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to cleanse us of our sins, to give us a new life, to give us an abundant and an eternal life that he paid the price that we couldn't pay so that we can live whole lives. So that we can live lives knowing that we are enough. So that we can live lives knowing that we are accepted, wanted, and loved. And so today, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. If you're saying, Diana, I wanna put my trust in Jesus. I wanna walk around knowing my position. I wanna walk around knowing that I am a son and a daughter of God. I wanna walk around with the full knowledge that I am loved, that I am valued, and that I am worthy. At the count of three, if that's you, just raise your hand. I just wanna acknowledge you, one, two, three. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'm gonna say a prayer. This is a repeat after me prayer. And I'm not gonna single you out, but we're all gonna pray this prayer with you as a family. And the prayer is not the one that saves you, but it's you putting your trust in Jesus. So if you can, I want to repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and on the third day, you're resurrected. Come into my life. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on. Come on, let's celebrate.